You're listening to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we talk about how to practice and how to learn more effectively. Hey, I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And today we are talking to two great guys, Mike Napoleon and Kyle Shea from Superspeed Golf. These guys are going to go through lots of the science behind their product that they've uh, been sharing all over the world now. And, you know, there's lots of golf training ads out there that don't have a lot of science backed behind them, whereas these guys have really done their research. They spend multiple years trying to figure this stuff out. You know, they use their overspeed training concepts that she's been used in Major League Baseball for decades. So this is uh, this is going to be interesting. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, anytime, you know, you, you talk about a training aid or you look at some type of device like this, you always got to wonder, like, does this does this actually work, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's it kind of cool to talk to the guys that developed this, why they developed it, kind of the thought behind it. And then, you know, some of what they've done to, to study the effects and, and how to train effectively with it. it. It's cool to hear all that. And then plus, uh, you know, before we uh, recorded this, we were just talking about how much we've been seeing super speed pop up just like on Twitter and social media with more and more tour players using it. So it is catching on. That's for sure. Sure is. I think another great thing with these guys, Cody, is that, you know, they're coaches as well. So. They really think about the training programs and how to implement it within a training program. So it's it's real cool. Yeah, for sure. And you, we all have skepticisms about training aids, especially around here on the show. Is is we've you know the research shows that a lot of people use training aids and feedback incorrectly. So uh, it's kind of interesting that we had them on, uh, and it was good to good to have a conversation like this. So let's get into it. We are here with the guys from Superspeed, and we're going to talk about a different kind of training today, not necessarily about how to change up what you're doing on the driving range or what you're doing on the golf course, but how to gain a little speed, how to get a little bit stronger. And I think this is a cool conversation because we're using a unique type of training to get some of these results. So we have Kyle and Mike hanging out with us. Hey guys, how's it going? Going well. Thanks for having us, Gordy. Hey, Gordy. Thanks for having us. Awesome. And a quick voice recognition for the listeners at home. Who is who here? Mike Napoleon with Super Speed Golf. Nice. Kyle J, it's me. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we know. Um, now we know the voices. Uh, give us like, for people that don't know, give us like the the 60 second kind of uh, idea of what Super Speed Golf is if someone hasn't seen it. Yeah. So Super Speed Golf is an adaptation of something called overload underload training that's been around in sports for, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of years, starting back with you know, runners who are going to change the incline of the slope that they run to change resistance to track and field athletes throwing different weighted javelins. Uh, most recently in baseball pitchers using different weighted balls to increase arm speed. We took a lot of that great science that's out there with overload underload training and adapted it you know, primarily now to the golf swing, but really to swinging sports in general in order to help players increase the speed that they're able to produce a golf swing. Gotcha. That might have been a little under 60 seconds, but that's the that's the that's the 30,000 foot view on it. Yeah. So, wh- I mean, let me ask this question. So you guys are trainers or like what's your what are your guys' backgrounds? Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, my background is actually in um, a lot of rehab work, corrective exercise, massage therapy and nutritional coaching. So uh, I started out uh, as a competitive golfer, played all through high school, college and then uh, ended up doing more work just kind of in the 
rehab industry with a lot of spinal injuries, cervical injuries, and also some golf specific training. And then I, uh, I met Mike and, uh, Mike will talk a little more about it, but he is a swing coach and we kind of formed a business together, combining that, uh, swing coaching and that fitness training to start to work with a lot of amateur players and professional players. Yeah. And I would say that we kind of took that ball and just ran with it in a very, very big way. Um, I'd consider Kyle and I, we've always been sort of information seekers and also basically like data junkies when it comes to our, our players. So we're always looking for new information. We're always looking for the next, you know, new and innovative ways to help players get better. I mean, on my end, I'm a PGA professional. I'm a you know, swing coach. Uh, I've done a lot of research into a lot of areas of golf biomechanics and different types of training and learning methodology, just so that we can uh, together, you know, combining all of those fitness and physical elements with nutrition coaching, with what players are doing on the course, what they're doing with their swing, what they're doing when they're practicing, and is making that full comprehensive environment for a player as uh, efficient as we can. Gotcha. So w- what were you doing before you started this type of uh, like overspeed training, like what were you doing before this to help people gain some speed? And what do you guys do? You guys were use gain speed or power? Or like what word do you use? I think speed. I like speed the best. So what were you doing before to gain speed with students before this? Yeah. So our our coaching business is a company called Catalyst Golf Performance, and we have a couple academies in the Chicago area right now. And I would say that we've done we were doing a lot of you know, I would say new age kind of stuff with it. I mean, we were doing a lot of plyometric training. Kyle can talk more specifically about some of that. But I mean, we were working with swing mechanics. We were working with biomechanics, looking at swings on 3D, trying to figure out how to make the kinematic sequence more efficient, looking at ground force, trying to figure out how to make people you know, generate and transfer more energy up the chain. Uh, basically, anything we could have done to help players become more efficient was really our goal. And I think in the... In the quest to make a player more efficient, generally a side effect of that is that they also became more, they're going to create a little bit more speed and power in their movement. But yeah, I mean, I would say on that sense, we were doing a lot to try to help players become more powerful and create more speed in their swing. This was just an, you know, overspeed training and and what we're doing with super speed kind of was born out of that as another area that we found that was going to help players uh, achieve those results. I think what you guys have created is pretty incredible, to be honest. I'm sure, Mike, you've worked a lot with junior golfers. I'm sure you both now work with a bunch of junior golfers, to be honest. And like one of the core things that that we're looking for in developing uh, junior golfers' fundamental movement and sports skills is speed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think this, if used properly, because, you know, we're all about learning and uh changing up how you practice on the driving range, etc. I think if you use these uh, products that you have in the right way, then, you know, these not only junior golfers, but adult golfers can get that speed as well. But I'm really interested to see, to know, sorry, uh, how you actually use it with your players in your academies. Because you, you, you mentioned you have a couple of academies in the Chicago area, right? Yes. Like, how do you implement in an actual training environment and a, and a training session or lesson, so to speak, uh, how do you implement them uh, in that setting? We get a real comprehensive assessment on them first. So we're looking through uh, a lot of physical data. Mike and I are in a session together. So we'll have them in a golf bay and we're 
looking through their clubs or looking through 3D stuff or looking through just swing mechanics. And then they'll work with me on a lot of the physical aspects on what they can and can't do and um, what maybe they, they're looking to improve on with their goals. So very comprehensive there. And then from then, we're building out programs. So how best they're going to implement what we're looking for and and create that as a permanent change. So super speed for us is something that is just, um, it's another tool to be able to insert when we're ready for that player. So some players, we want to get a little bit more flexible or stable for some players need to gain strength. Some some junior golfers, like you know, are, are ready. They're in a a window of development where they need to start to implement speed training to really gain that potential as they get older in life. So we're looking through everything that they have with that assessment and then starting to periodize that out with their training schedule, with their practice schedule, and potentially with their competitive schedule. Mike and I have uh, been working with quite a few professional players on all the tours throughout the the world right now and, and really being either one-on-one with them or consultants with their coaches or trainers to start to implement it into um, their own training methodologies they're working on on their own. Let's say that you're, you're at one of your academies now and uh, you're working with a student. Just give us a, a real real live example of like this person's in front of you, you, you know based off of their fully comprehensive assessment, you know what you need to work on, how and what tasks and how do you set up the, that actual practice for them there and then to use these super speed products? Matt, yeah, I think I think it's a really good question. Um, I want to answer that this way is that not everybody out there is going to have that environment where they can get all of that data at once. I would say this as far as actually implementing the, the process with anybody, you know, you want to start doing super speed or overspeed training, you know, not when you're dead tired. So you want to pretty much do that kind of toward the beginning of a session when you're sort of fresh. It's a very neurologically based training system. So it, it can cause, if you're already fatigued, you're not going to get the most out of it. So we always like to do this toward the beginning of a training session or beginning of a swing session. And we don't really find any negative results with, you know, working on other things after uh, you would go through the super speed training. So that that's kind of a major part there because, we're very tied to you know getting a lot of information and a lot of data on our players before we recommend any types of training to them. But yeah. one of the things that we've also on the on the contrary to that tried to be very true to when we're dealing with super speed because this is the first type of a uh, training system or product that we wanted to get out to everybody in the masses all over the world. You know, we wanted to make sure that basically anybody that picks this up, no matter where they are. Um, from a mechanic standpoint, where they are physically, you know, can use the product, can basically go through, you know, the the starting protocols that we have safely, and are going to see results pretty much, you know, right away when they start working with it. You know, that's something that we've really tried to be very careful with as we've done this, and that's why a lot of the training recommendations that we have on our website are very specific, and those are also those have been vetted very very deeply at our own academies with our own players. You know, to make sure that all of those pieces are put together on them. Awesome. So, a quick question on so with this this type of overspeed training where you're using you know lighter and heavier implements, like talk to about like where does this come from? I know you mentioned it's been used in a lot of sports for a long time, but like. I love both Matt and I are uh, in love research, which is kind of lame and (laughs) dumb. But I get uh, it. We do too. Is there research on this? Like, what's the story? 
Yeah, I mean, the most direct source that we would have um, was coming from a baseball coach named Tom House. Really brilliant guy. Uh, kind of one of the, probably worked with just about every major league baseball pitcher of note since Nolan Ryan and a bunch of NFL quarterbacks. He's kind of a, a PT specialist about shoulder rehab and shoulder injuries as well. We He's heard been him spending sp- some time with TPI, right, Tom? For quite yeah, so time. For, for some time. So that was kind of the very first time we actually heard about this type of training was at the World Golf Fitness Summit in, uh, I believe it was 2012, he spoke. And, you know, we've been working with the guys at TPI, you know, Greg and Dave are phenomenal guys. We're, we're all TPI certified. I've been working with those guys for like 10 years. Um, so we've always had a lot of respect for you know what they do because they're very, uh, you know, they're always determined. They want data before they're going to recommend something. And that's kind of the same thing that we believe in on that end. You know, we just don't like to throw out crazy ideas into the world and get people working on it without any proof that it's going to work. So what we what we really heard them talk about that very first time it was presented was trying to use stuff that was already in your bag. In this case, using like a driver shaft and your own driver and then like a six irons to get different weights and go through some basic training to use that overload, underload concept. So that's kind of the source. And he was doing that with baseball pitchers for a long time and was kind of just directly adapting what he was doing from a baseball standpoint to, to swinging sports. What we found is when we started working with that with our, our players at our academies and started doing some more research on it was that it was effective on a very rudimentary level. But there was ways to make it a lot better. And that's kind of where Superspeed Golf grew out of that is we started doing research on, well, we think that the heavy side of what you're doing there is actually too heavy. And it's not the same as baseball. For the biomechanics and physics nerds out there, you know, one of the main reasons is that, you know, when you're using a baseball, you're holding it in your hand. Okay, so the lever length there is a lot shorter than when you're dealing with a golf club where you've got a 45 inch arc width on the golf club. So we had to adjust the weighting scheme of, of the set significantly to account for that so that we would get optimal results on the swinging sports side. Uh, similar to the types of results we would see from a throwing side with what they were doing with, with pitchers. But, yeah, so we basically took all this information that's out there about how to, how to do this training in other sports. And we, we adapted it and optimized it for the, for the golf swing to see the you know best results that we could. And when we did a lot of that research, we were looking at not only how much of a gain or increase players would get when they were hitting, we looked at, you know, how fast they could actually swing the individual clubs as they went through the training. That was one of the big things. That's actually why we uh, changed the term from overload, underload training to overspeed training. Kind of coined that term because one of the things that happens when, when a player is going through our training sessions is, you know, with that green club in our system that's 20% lighter than their driver, we found in our research that they can swing that between about 18 and 20% faster than their normal club. Okay. So, that is, in our sense, an overspeed of what they're normally doing in their swing. We also found that as you progress through that set, so you go from that green club to the blue one that's 10% lighter than their driver, that player can still swing that club between 15 and 18% faster than their normal club. And we can get into some of the details on the science there. It has to do with like neurological resets of, of muscular response speeds. But then they go to the red club, which is ten, which is five percent heavier than their driver. We still see the player swinging that club about ten to twelve percent faster than their normal club speed. You know, so thus it's an overspeed session of of their normal swing speed during the entire training, and that's kind of how we uh that, that that was some of the results of those initial researches that found uh, the optimal gains for players when we we're maintaining those higher speeds on all the swings. 
When I was digging through some research, I heard that you were trying out different weights and that you chose the weights you did because you didn't want it to too drastically affect um, like kinematic sequence. I think I saw that somewhere when I was reading through some stuff. Um, yeah. But chat about like why you chose the weights that you did and why that's kind of important. You want to take this one, Kyle? Uh, I think you're best at the biomechanics. Uh, stuff, so Okay. Yeah. So we also did a lot of 3D testing when we were developing this in a lot of different ways, not only to see again, kind of before and after how it would affect a player when they're actually hitting a ball, but also how it affected them on dry swings, basically throughout the, the process of the training. And, uh, yeah. So the big point there is this, if you get something that's too light, if you swing, if you swing an implement, that's too light from a sequencing standpoint, your body no longer needs to go through the same reaction chain that it would in the golf swing. So like if you just swing a golf shaft, what you'll see on 3D, if you take dry swings with just a golf shaft, you're not going to see very much lower body integration at all. Because, I mean, essentially your body is programmed to go to path of least resistance to accomplish the goal that you have with whatever motor pattern you're trying to do. So if you do just a shaft, what you tend to see is you tend to see mostly arm speed and wrist speed because it's so light, there's no resistance. So what we found is that we kind of gradually increased the weights of those clubs until we found a point where the player could number one swing it significantly faster than their normal club but on the same side we wanted it to be as similar as possible to what it looked like kinematically to their own golf swing so we found that around 20 percent lighter than the driver was that magic number where the sequencing still looked the same we saw good lower body integration but they could swing significantly faster and then on the other side, and this was maybe the biggest difference in our system than anything else that's on the market for even remotely similar types of training, even in other sports, we found that on the heavy side, we never wanted the player to slow down. So if we got above about 5% heavier, 6% heavier than the player's driver, what we started to see is number one, they had a drastic increase in, or decrease in speed of how fast they were able to swing that implement. And then the other thing, too, is that kinematically and on the biomechanics, it, it labored the sequencing pattern significantly over their normal normal system. So, you know, they they almost had to dig in too much with creating you know, differing acceleration, deceleration patterns in order to make the club move because it was just too heavy for them. Uh, so those are some of the some of the biomechanics side of what we saw there. Gotcha. Matt, are you ready for our favorite topic? <laughs> I don't know if you're going to guess this, but here's the question. So we do that. We can do this on the range. We can gain, you know, we can, we can improve in, in, in some time by doing some of this training, but how does this transfer out to the golf course? Is that a good question? That's the, Matt? One. That's the one guys. How <laughs> Great does. Question. Yeah. I mean, that was a big part of our research is okay. We're going to increase their speed. What happens though? You know, when they get out to play, does it last? Does their swing look goofy? You know, are they hitting it more crooked with more speed? And so that was the big reason why we were working with the the K vest and the AMM and, and TrackMan to see what was happening with the speeds, being able to chart them, and also what was happening with their sequencing over time so that we're not messing them up. So typically what we'll see is they'll go through that first session. Um, it's maybe eight to ten minutes. It's very quick. And then we'll have them hit balls right afterwards. And we measure before and after speed. And we'll see on average about a 5% increase in club head speed. So say you're 100 miles an hour, that'll go to 105 miles an hour with the driver. Now, after maybe 20 to 30 minutes, that will drop off. 
So if you did it once, got in the course, you'll you'll keep it, and then it'll go down pretty much after that first or second hole. But what we see is after about four to six weeks, that starts to become a permanent change. And what we're um, really talking about is more of that neurological or brain-based training, where eventually we kind of take away the governor that says in the brain, this is how fast I can tell my body to rotate or move. So that four to six week period is when we're starting to see that 105 mile an hour where they got to after that first session, they actually start at that. So we'll see more of a like a plateau coming at that time, and then we'll jump them to a next level protocol. Now, just a little bit more on the mechanics when they get out there. Almost every time, they'll also start to be hitting it uh, just as well, if not better, because they're becoming more efficient. The only way they can actually move these super speed clubs effectively faster is to start becoming more efficient in their golf swing. It's very hard for you to do goofy mechanical things like over-the-top moves, casting, Uh, You have to use the ground reaction forces a little bit better. You have to use your lower body better. Everything has to be better to be able to move the weighted clubs the way we design them. So uh, typically you'll see them just hitting it straighter and longer, and then they get that permanent change after that uh, about six-week period. Yeah, and I'd like to add, too, just onto that. Like that, that's... That's a pattern we see across the board with all players, like tour players, amateurs, seniors. You know, you'll see this kind of initial phase where we kind of have we know how much of a jump they're going to get. And then we see that kind of gradually the starting speeds gradually get to that point. We plateau for a month or two and then we'll see other jumps down the road. But that will correlate directly. Like if we measure that speed at the let's say a player's been doing this for eight weeks and they've kind of reached that first plateau phase. and They've gained about five percent club speed. We will see that identical between their training sessions and the range. We generally recommend, especially to a lot of our touring players, that in the first month that they're doing the program, that they actually don't do it on tournament days because it will make those. That's still that point where they're going to be jumping from a before and an after number after they do it. So we wouldn't want to change things for them right there the day they're going to go play a tournament. But after they've been working with it for six to eight weeks and we've reached that first plateau phase, then we recommend they can do it. You know, day of tournaments, it doesn't matter. Down the road from that, we usually see a second jump, um, usually in about somewhere between four and six months of training. Uh, usually happens and it goes about another 5%. So we've had players that are going from that 104, 105 range that are now consistently on the course in that 118 to 120 range club speed. A few different tour players are in that boat. Those are, you know, been working with it for, you know, four to eight months at that, that time. We've got some LPGA tour players right now that, have gone from 255, 260 average driving distance to 285, 290. I mean, it's, it's, there's some big, big jumps possible that are actually shown in the actual stats that these players are performing on the course. That's cool. And you say it, so between six and eight weeks is that first jump of where it stabilizes rather than fluctuating so much. Yeah, that's and your that, first like plateau of permanency. Call. You know, that that's extremely interesting to me because if you if you look at a lot of the work that the likes of Bjork and Ericsson and Bloom have been putting out for for a very long time it's they've found between six and eight weeks for you know something to be learned and when I say learned we're assuming that whatever it is is then repeatable in the future and so that Mm -hmm. that correlates really well with what you guys have found 
And just to confirm, even with a regular beginner golfer up to these professional athletes, you're seeing the same same period of time, right? Yeah, we are. We actually see even a little bit more with the juniors sometimes and some of the, the female players. But across the board with seniors or amateurs or professionals, it's pretty standard. It just seems like some of the females don't uh, learn how to create speed as effectively growing up so they can jump it even more and a little quicker. And, and so can juniors, depending on where they are developmentally. Yeah, the time frame as far as how long it takes doesn't really change. The, the timing cycle is pretty much there. I mean, there's a range. Everybody's a little different. But yeah, it, the same pattern and cycle of, of the training pretty much stays the same for everybody. Just, uh, yeah, like Kyle said, there's definitely bigger jumps with some segments. So my driver is at like probably 112 right now. So what do I have to do to get to 120 in those six to eight weeks then? Because I'm all in. I'm all in. If come you get me to 120, I am the happiest person alive. <laughs> well, I can tell you this. Like if you go out and go through the intro protocol the first time and you measure your before speed, you know, hit balls, actually measure where you are that day. So let's say you're at 112, Okay. And then immediately after that, you go through the training and you hit balls afterwards and whatever that number is that it jumps to, um, which is going to, like I said, about 5% is average on that jump. You know, you may jump over 120 right away. You may only jump to 115, 116, but whatever that jump is, um, is pretty much what you're going to be able to expect to gain from this training in that first, you know, six to eight week period of training. And then, you know, if it only jumps to 116, you know, let's say that you're just somebody that for whatever reason has has a more efficient neurological chain going on already in your body and it doesn't jump quite as far, then it, to get to 120, it might take you into that second plateau of training and you might have to do, you know, some more aggressive training to get there. You know, if you're somebody that uh, neurologically is not as efficient, which by the way, that has nothing to do with where your starting speed is. We've had players that are starting at 120 that are extremely neurologically inefficient. We've had players that are starting at 85 that are very neurologically efficient. So, you know, it may jump over 120 right away and then you'll be there in the first six to eight weeks. But basically you're looking at doing this thing regularly and religiously three times a week with a day off in between, throwing that, you know, 10 minute training session in somewhere in your program uh, you know, about three times a week and maintaining that consistency of doing that program over the first few months. And you're going to see gain. So three times a week, 10, you said 10 minutes. Yep. What about like, so like my core super weak, I'm not the strongest guy. I'm kind of thin, not that strong. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I, what about like my body, I guess? Like that's, that's the question, right? Like I'm not, if I don't do anything else besides just that, right? Just this type of training, like what happens? What goes on there? I think the, the cool thing with this, Corey, is we can introduce it to, you know, a lot of different populations, senior people who can't move or people like you feel like they're weak. Obviously, we'd like to combine it if possible with some other, you know, strengthening or stabilization exercises and, and that will get a greater benefit. But Kind of the way we start you out is very introductory. So we do, we typically do just like a warm up, just to get your body feeling like it's not straight cold while you're trying to swing as fast as you can. And then we only work in our first level with three swings through each club in two different cycles. So you know you're not hitting the ground with this. You're working on your dominant and non-dominant side, which is another really big thing to prevent injury. So we're building you into this to make sure your body can handle this type of speed training. So no, no hitting the ground and making sure that you're swinging on that non-dominant side 
to prevent any type of you know injury that may happen depending on where you're starting uh starting spaces like what you said gotcha gotcha because kind of like this in that first session where you get that five percent jump that's kind of like the potential that your body can handle then is that kind of what you see it as or yeah for that initial period yeah the potential gain you're gonna get gotcha with your current physical like fitness level yes now let me add to that what kyle said you know as a coach and as a you know as a team that we have or we we coach players very comprehensively I mean, I'd fully recommend that you do a whole lot of things to strengthen your core and work on your body and do all, a whole lot of other, you know, areas that, that are that could potentially cause you even bigger gains and, 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 and help you out, you know, not only as a golfer, but just as a human being that's going to have a more stable body. But again, what we've tried to be very true to with Super Speed Golf is that we realize that not every golfer in the world is going to have that available or is going to do that or is going to want to do that. So we wanted to create something that would be useful and helpful for them regardless of if there's somebody that's in the gym six hours a week or if there's somebody that's never been to the gym in their life like it's going both those people are going to get benefit again my personal opinion is i think everybody should be in the gym working on core strength and working on flexibility and working on stability and, and doing all kinds of different things but again reality is that not every golfer that's out there has that available yes it's true i i know i should mike but it's just <laughs> Cody, I thought you worked out every day. Yeah, um, walking. Now, now the golf season's upon us. You know. There we go. Yeah, I've just sat around inside. Actually, my latest acquisition is a bike that I can sit on my computer and work at while I'm biking. <laughs> um, it's it's, it's revolutionized my life. Genius. Nice, genius, very good. Matt, any uh, any other questions from you? Anything else from your end? I have a question. When you've been doing the research, guys. And you've found that any golfer initially in that first six-week period, six- to eight-week period, get these uh, sustainable gains. What if you had a person that was using the training system but was using it indoors? Because you, you talked about you've got to use it at the right time as well, which I agree with because if some players are in competition season and they have multiple events lined up in a row, then they probably don't want to do too much of it because they'll, they'll struggle with the distances and, and stuff like that. So I think a lot would probably do more of this in their off-season. Am I, am I wrong? Well, I would say that I think off-season is a great time to start. But at the same time, like once you start doing this training, we don't really want players to stop. We really haven't seen it create any kind of negative to their game. It's just another great segment of, of practice that these that players can do. So... Once we get the players started, we pretty much have them on a year-round program. Uh, yeah. We do start people during the season all the time, too. I mean, we start tour players during the season. You know, Again, just right off the bat, we may not have them do it on a tournament day. But the, the process of the, the actual like effective change that happens for them on the course happens gradually enough that most of these players don't have any type of issue with that. Now, maybe yeah. after two months, they need to go you know, get their, you know, if they're a tour player, they're going to, they're going to get their clubs refit and they might have some adjustments to the equipment. They might see some gradual change over that month. But yeah, you know, again, as a swing coach, I'm a huge believer that, you know, you don't learn how to, you know, hit a seven iron, 170 yards by hitting seven irons, 170 yards all the time. You know, you learn <laughs> yeah. how to control your distance by learning how to control that entire spectrum of different types of shots and different 
types of yardages that you could possibly hit with a seven iron. And then when you're out on the course and you're faced with something, you have all of the skills and all of the learning behind that to be able to execute that shot that's on hand. So I think as long as players are practicing well and using a lot of good outcome-based drills like that, and I call it I call it kind of learning the spectrum of different shots that they can hit with different clubs, and that can apply a whole different whole lot of ways, a whole nother conversation. But as long as they're doing those type of things, we don't really see any negative impact on their on their ability to score. Cool. Cool. I, I get that. I think you, you explained that quite well. So to go back to my question, the golfers can use this program throughout the whole year. You're going to get some that over the winter time where they they have to go from outdoor training, from training on the golf course and using the practice green and, and having the context of the actual performance environment to moving indoors because there's so much snow and they're using a net and a mat indoors. How I'm not sure if you guys know this or, or if it's future research for you, but how um, how important is the context within the the environment that your players are using this training system? How important is that to the learning process? Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think it's very important. That would just be my opinion right now. Is and, and the reason for that would be that. Although we've done a lot of our testing where we've measured kind of before and after numbers on how they're actually hitting a golf ball, I would say that 98% of the training that we do with this, with our tour players, with our amateurs, everybody else, is fully away from what they're doing out on the golf course. So like most of the players that we have actually train this indoors, even during the season a lot of times. I mean, some of them will do it at the driving range, but you know, if I'm if I'm putting together someone's program, even if it's outside, let's say it's a tour player, I'm going to have them warm up. Then I'm going to have them go through speed training pretty much toward the front. Then I'm probably going to have them go do a putting or a short game segment before they get back to doing full swing anyway. So I feel like the speed training is its own element. And we already, we periodize it in an isolated way already away from everything they're doing. So I, I really don't feel that there would be much of an effect whether they're doing it outside on the range or they're doing it in their garage or they're doing it in an indoor center in the winter. And I really don't think it would matter. That's cool to know that the data that you've got supports what you just said, because I guess a, a bunch of people would say, well, is it going to, if I'm not using it in the environment that I'm around playing in or performing in, is it really going to help for when I'm in competition? <laughs> and what you guys have proven is that, well, yeah, it does. You know, so yeah. that's that, that's uh, that's what I was getting at. Okay. Man, I think another thing that we uh, get the question is, what if I stop the training? You know, what if I do it for a certain amount of time? And then what happens after that if I, you know, just end up stopping? And we really encourage people to get through the first at least two cycles, which would be like that 12 weeks, maybe a little bit more. After that six weeks, we do stay at stay pretty much permanent. But really, when you get to that 12 weeks, even if you quit for a bit, which we don't encourage, but life happens, you pretty much hang around there. Uh, even if you start back up in you know a couple weeks, couple months, you won't drop down a whole lot. And we've we've tested that with some tour players and amateurs as well. So uh, hopefully that gives some encouragement for people that keep going through it. But if you have to take a break, you're not going to lose all your games. We have a great case study on an Australian tour player that we've worked with for a while. Uh, he started, I think he was about 34, 35 yeah. years old when he started working with it too. A guy that, you know, just for his career was hanging around 105, 106 club speed. And it was probably the reason he didn't, you know, do a lot better. 
Um, so he was kind of behind the eight ball on the on the speed and power side. His initial jump went to about 112, 113. Pretty much got that permanent in about, you know, it was about two months, maybe nine weeks. Worked with it for a little longer there, then actually took about three months off of the training altogether. Came back, you know, was still in that like 113 range, 112, 113 range when he came back from that after three months. About a month into that training, had another jump, had that kind of that second jump, second plateau up to the 118, 119 range, and pretty much has lived there ever since, which is a pretty big jump, yeah, I would say, especially for a professional player. Yeah, that's a great case study as well. That, that really does support the whole system. Do you guys have any more like case studies or um, videos for folks to check out to see some of this in action? We get a lot of cool stuff on our website. We did a... Uh, we did a really neat study with body track on uh, looking at center of pressure traces and showing how, you know, in a very short time, you can do a lot of cleanup of how you're transferring weight with the super speed system. So that's a neat video to check out. Uh, we've done some other ones about different drills and exactly how to do the different drills. The case study that we have on, on uh, uh, Clint Rice is his name, the tour player in Australia. We could probably send that over to you if you wanted to post some of that information. I've got some 3D data on him as well. I've got TrackMan data, kind of all of it kind of laid out on, on how it worked for him over the course of his time. Uh, that might be a very cool thing for some of your listeners and readers to look through. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. That would be great, yeah. We'll have to link both of those up, the um, the body track uh, info and then the case study too. That'd be really cool to, to share. And then just superspeedgolf.com to, to check it out. I browsed through it and uh, you guys have a bunch of good stuff over there. Any parting words for people before we uh, sign off for the day, guys? All of our training is on that website, so they can just log in and register themselves and get to see actually the videos of how we take people through the training. So it's already up there, and you can get a feel for what it looks like. I mean, it's a it's a very intense training, but it's short, and it's kind of easy to put in. So if you want to get a feel for what it actually looks like to swing through each of the protocols and, and how the clubs work, that's a good way to check that out just to start. Yeah, I'd, I'd say on a parting word, too, like, you know, with all the – players we have every it seems like everybody is always buying a new driver and trying to you know seek out that extra five or ten yards you know i, I would say before you go and spend 500 bucks on a new driver this year like take a look at this stuff and actually look through some of the research we've done and you know i think there's ways that you can help yourself gain speed that has nothing to do with just buying new clubs and, and having new stuff in there and, and and it can become kind of a permanent part of your routine that you'll see benefits in every aspect of your game from I'm a, I'm a fan of that, that mentality of let's see what we can do to train something or train some skill rather than just try to buy it. Cause that never really works anyways. So <laughs> no, awesome. Superspeedgolf.com. Uh, Kyle, Mike, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a fun conversation for sure. Yeah. Thanks, yeah, thanks a lot guys. guys. No, thanks we appreciate for- it. Thanks for having us on. We, uh, we love talking about this stuff as you can, you can tell. And, you know, again, we've we've done so much of the background on this. It's not just another kind of gimmicky product that's out there. I mean, this is this is real stuff that works. Yeah, you guys have really helped lead the way with uh, evidence-based coaching strategies. So that you're not just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. I, I, I definitely support it. Awesome. Thank you. 